This week, Jared Atkinson joins us to talk about hunt teaming and PowerShell and more. Security news for this week. We will talk about hacking sex toys, facial recognition, and ah, all that and more. So stay tuned. Broadcasting live from G-Unit Studios in Rhode Island, it's the show where exploits run wild, packets aren't the only things getting sniffed, and the cocktails flow steady. It's Paul's Security Weekly. Security Weekly is brought to you by Black Hills Information Security, the leaders in penetration testing and active defense. Email consulting at blackhillsinfosec.com to request a quote today. The SANS Institute, the most trusted source for computer security training, certification, and research. Visit sans.org to explore the full curriculum and latest training offerings. Onapsis, the leading provider of solutions to protect ERP systems from cyber attacks. Customers can secure their SAP and Oracle business-critical platforms from espionage, sabotage, and financial fraud risks. Visit them on the web at onapsis.com. Pony Express. Check out their line of penetration testing devices, including the Pone Pad, the Pone Phone, and the Pone Pro. For enterprises, there's Pone Pulse, providing continuous visibility into wired, Wi-Fi, and Bluetooth spectrums across all physical locations, including remote sites and branch offices. For all those hard-to-reach places, there's Pony Express. Visit them on the web at PonyExpress.com. Welcome, everyone, to Security Weekly. Did you have something to do okay. that, right? No, no. <coughs> I, was, I was actually going to say to you in the beginning, so you know, you know, we forget it so much, and I haven't been in studio as often. It's probably time for me to just... We'll let that go by the wayside. Okay, here's your host, <laughs> a man who apparently only has one green shirt, Paul Asadorian. <laughs> How about that? Is that good? That Welcome, works. everyone. This is Security Weekly. That works. Episode, what number is this? 456. 456. 456. That it is. That is right. And it is even March 17th, 2016. St. Sh- Patrick's Day. St. Patrick's Day. And we're in celebration of St. Patrick's Day. Not only are we wearing green. But we're drinking. You know, how can we not <laughs> honor the great holiday of St. Patrick's Day by, by drinking? It was a stretch, but we thought we thought, you we know, do it. it's so far outside of the norm for Security Weekly. I know. But we thought this week, you know what, we're gonna drink extra. And you know what the special drink is for St. Patrick's Day in the Paul.com su- in the Security wow. Weekly Wow, I've been drinking. Oh. I've been drinking in the Security oh. Weekly oh. studio. Oh. Edit that one out. It's called booze. <laughs> <laughs> Where's that thing on your wrist? You need 100%. Yeah, that, you need the shocking thing. It's yeah, 100% shock every time. <laughs> Larry's got the shocker, literally the shocker. Well, Larry's here in studio. Larry, it's nice to have you in studio as always. Yes. Uh, Mr. Jeff Man. I almost said Joff Man. No, it's Jeff Man, Joff Thire, not Jeff Thire and Joff Man. Jeff, Jeff, Jeff. Jeff Man is here. The man. You're the man. I Mr. The man. man. You are the man. Mr. The Man. You've uh, been playing mixologist so I far. I have. I've been having fun. 
That's trying good. to come up with green drinks that aren't beer and don't taste like mouthwash. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that first one was mouthwash. Too. <laughs> the first it was one wasn't so good. I think cream to mint is uh, oh is out God. mouthwash. Yeah, I think that's is. the main ingredient in that is Listerine. Oh. <laughs> well, Keith was saying that that was one of those liquors that was in your dad's liquor cabinet and it was there for like twenty for like years. twenty years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. nobody knew what to do with it. Put it over ice cream. And I'm told ice cream. <laughs> nice. We used to put it over pineapple. Yeah, oh. that was pretty oh. good. Oh. It's pretty good. So we'll get some pineapple. It's going to sit on the shelf <laughs> over there for quite <laughs> some time. <laughs> we'll put a date on it. Take there a picture of it. On the lines via Skype, Mr. Carlos Perez is here. Welcome, Carlos. Hey, Paul. Happy to be here. <laughs> wow. Surprise! <laughs> Live video from Carlos. I know. It's awesome. It's the first Very time nice. for everything. Adorning his That's hack fair. naked t-shirt, Mr. Joff Thayer is here with us. Welcome, Joff. Hola. Uh, it's good to be here. Uh, it is March 17th, no less, St. Patty's Day. It is also my daughter's birthday, who is 17 on the 17th, which oh is freaking me well, out. Why are you and here? And I don't have any green on, so I'm in trouble with my wife and my daughter, and I'm doing Security Weekly tonight. So awesome, awesome coincidence of events. Great, is, that, is, great that a re, is that a recliner in your office? A recliner? <laughs> what, you mean that I'm sitting in? No, no behind, behind you. you. <laughs> behind you. No, it is not a recliner in my office. Okay. Is that just clothing over a treadmill? <laughs> uh, no, no, no. It's some musical equipment because I'm vaguely musical from time to time. So, I see. Gotcha. I hear you're an expert in the skin flute, Joff. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you had to go there. You had to wow. Go. Actually, I can play some, play some mean blues on the, on the keyboard. You can play some mean skin flute. Mean I know. Blues on the skin flute. It's good. Oh. No, I lost my I train of thought. I want to know, do they celebrate St. Patrick's Day? I amaze even myself. I amuse myself. And if you can't and, amuse yourself, who can you amuse? And little right. else. And little else. <laughs> yeah, well, you know how it is. You got to practice on yourself before things are perfected. <laughs> I want to talk about InfoSec World, April 4th through the 6th. And I had a lot more stuff to say about InfoSec World in the show notes that don't really exist. But there's a beautiful graphic there up for InfoSec World. At Disney's Contemporary Resort, no less. <laughs> That's right. InfoSecWorld.Misty.org. I really dot thought com. I was going to... Go check the show com. notes for 455. <laughs> <laughs> Misty.com. Misty.com. That's M-I-S-T-I.com. You should go there because I'll be speaking... Jeff got a sneak preview of my talk today, which is still got some molding and shaping to do. It's getting there, but it's got the makings of a a great talk. So uh, Mr. Michael Santarcangelo will be there speaking as well. Um, Who else? Kevin. A lot of people we know. Kevin Johnson will be there. I think Chris Nickerson will be there. Uh, There's a lot of people you recognize and a lot of people you may not recognize. It's a great conference. It's kind of like that mix of. People, people who talk at hacker cons and, and people that are more like, business I don't focused. know, business focus, I guess. I hate sure. to call it business focus because I think we're all business focused in, in some way, right. shape, or form. But um, yeah, it's a great we'll call, conference. We'll call that layer eight focused. Layer eight focused. Yeah. In fact, that was my first security conference. Was InfoSec World? Yeah, in Florida. Nice. I uh, remember uh, that was back in 99 or 2000, and it was inside of Disney World that year. Yes, that's where it is this year as well. So it's a good, a good excuse to go to Disney. Go seek yeah. warmer weather. Well, well for, for Carlos, seeking warmer weather means not much You're at staying all. staying at home. <laughs> <laughs> True. Yeah. Just open the window. 
Uh, our guest this evening is Jared Atkinson. He is the Hunt Capability Lead with Veris Group's Adaptive. Before working Ferris Group, Jared spent four years leading incident response missions for the U.S. Air Force Hunt Team, detecting and removing advanced persistent threats on Air Force and DOT networks. He is passionate about PowerShell in the open source community. Jared is the lead, lead developer of the PowerShell Forensics Project, an open source forensics framework for PowerShell, and maintains a digital forensics-focused blog. Jared, welcome to the show. Hey, guys. What's going on? I'm really honored to be on the uh, Hacking Sex Toys episode. Yes. <laughs> You're more than welcome to stick around for the Hacking Sex Toys segment. Can't wait. It'll be fun. Maybe we'll, Larry even brought some examples. I wish I had if I had thought about it. But. He brought toys? <laughs> Different kind of toys, John. That vibrate. So, Jared, how did you get your start in information security? Yeah, so it was actually kind of like a series of uh, fortunate events for myself. Uh, was a history major originally in college, the Air Force, uh, and I was in Air Force ROTC. Um, the Air Force actually uses like alphanumeric codes to represent your degree. So history uh, happened to be 0GYY. And then uh, later I found out that they actually mistyped and put me as 0CYY, which ended up being computer science. And so for the first like three years of my Air Force career, the Air Force thought I was a computer scientist. And so <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, so and so, so you, I, went, you went with the inevitable then. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, either that or I would have still been in college, I guess, after pursuing history, right? That's what you keep doing is mm, yep. get hey, higher jo degrees. Joff, we know someone that has a very similar story that he went to become a microwave repair technician. We do? Yes. <laughs> and and ended up in the Air Force? Uh, ended up in the Marines. Well, no, he was in the Marines and went to re-enlist. Uh, oh, he, that's somebody. Yeah. He, uh, <laughs> he picked a uh, microwave repair technician thinking he was going to be sitting in the kitchen with the with Cookie <laughs> repairing <laughs> microwave ovens. Nope. Instead, you're in the battlefield repairing <laughs> microwave communications nice. devices, yep. right? Yeah, the, the video, the, the Matrix runs on Windows XP comes to mind by College Humor, right? Hello, Neo. Would you like some cookies? <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Um, so, Jared, I'm also told that you're part of the PowerShell Mafia. Is that like, oh, is that like a gang? Do you have like yeah. a gang symbol? <laughs> Do you all sit around in like a, a dark back room and eat meatballs and smoke cigars and drink wine uh, and stuff? Uh, we're going to lose that. <laughs> like yeah, yeah, so taps <laughs> so probably can you tell us? The eating meatballs and smoking cigars. Uh, my, so Varus Group, uh, the Adaptive Threat Division, has quite a few PowerShell uh, fanboys, I suppose. So uh, Matt Graver, Manifestation, works with us. Harmjoy, uh, Will Schroeder. There, so there's just a bunch of us that are really interested in the open source Power, PowerShell like InfoSec community. Um, something that we participate with Carlos pretty frequently with. So we have uh, we have like a chat room on Slack that we all kind of trade ideas and thoughts on different projects that we're working on, things of that nature. Cool. Um, so what is some you notice he didn't answer your question. He didn't. He was very cagey about the PowerShell Mafia. Oh, and we yeah. probably shouldn't even mention PowerShell Mafia on the air. Now oh, they're going to be after us. That's it. We're done. Yeah, yeah you're, well, you're on the list. Well, and you know, we, we, are in, we are in political season, so cagey is the, the, you know, the word of the day. <laughs> That's right. So um, tell us about some of the PowerShell projects that you've been working on. Yeah, so uh, Power, Power Forensics is probably my favorite. It's the thing that I've spent the most time on. Um, ultimately, what it is is uh, I saw a, prob you know, a problem in the forensics community. There's tons of vendor, vendor tools out there. They're all closed source. Um, none of them are particularly built to work together. And so uh, I, I decided that you know, Power, PowerShell in general has the ability to access Windows APIs, 
uh, things of that nature. And so I decided that I would start writing something that in, in a forensically sound manner was able to parse uh, the NTFS file system. And so uh, started off by parsing the master file table, the master boot record, things of that nature. And ultimately, it has kind of gone on to being able to parse the registry and a bunch of different registry keys and prefetch things of that nature. And so um, really, the, the cool thing about it is that uh, the NTFS parsing capability gets built upon for every particular uh, forensic artifact. So when you want to parse the prefetch, you're going to start with a handle to the C drive. And then you're going to parse, you know, the volume boot record, get to the master file table, find where uh, a part particular prefetch file is on disk, the bytes that represent that. And then you're going to try to interpret, you know, those bytes into uh, into a prefetch file and, you know, the information that's stored there. Um, another another pretty cool uh, tool that I'm working on with Matt Graber is called Uproot IDS, and so that leverages WMI's uh, permanent event subscriptions. Um, as an IDS type feature, and so WMI in general, it's you know been around Windows management instrumentation, been around since Windows 95, all the way to Windows 10. So pretty much any Windows system that you're going to come across is going it's going to be there. It has uh, a feature that allows you to basically monitor for events to occur, and that that feature is already there. It's already running on every every operating system. Uh, what what we're able to do is uh, take particular events or queries and tell WMI to notify us every time an event matches that query. Um, and so we look for things like it could be as broad as every time a process starts, I want to be notified about it. And it could be as specific as uh, when somebody uses the Win32 process create method uh, to create a remote process on a system, uh, we want to know about that. We want to know what the arguments to that process are, what, what actual executable is being run, things of that nature. So. That's that's pretty cool for scaling out your detection capability. That's pretty cool. Uh, hey, hey can, Paul, Joff, can call, I, yeah, go ahead, Joff. Yeah, can I ask a question on that? Um, sure. So, actually, it's it's interesting you mentioned that because I was I was looking at WMI just just this week, okay. um, and um, my qu my question is, um, uh, are you concerned about the longevity of WMI given that PowerShell is sort of pivoting towards uh, WinRM and um, you know, is is Microsoft made any kind of commitment towards longevity of WMI, or are they going to move away? Yeah, so uh, WMI is the Windows implementation of a common standard called SIM, the Common Information Model. And so, uh, ultimately, in Uproot in particular, we're actually using the PowerShell SIM commandlets, which is uh, SIM leverages both. It can leverage either DCOM uh, or or WinRM as a transport mechanism, and so. You're still, at the end of the day, accessing the same WMI classes on on the actual system or SIM classes, depending on what you're looking for. Um, but you can use either WinRM as a transport or DCOM as a transport. And so uh, DCOM is going to give you the full the full breadth, right? So everything from Windows 95 to uh, Windows 10, and all the server versions in between. Um, WinRM in particular is going to give you Windows 8 by default, and then you know all the way up to Windows 10. Uh, you could also get it on Windows 7 and Windows XP. So uh, uh, very good. I, I didn't uh, I didn't actually pick up on that. So thanks for clarifying. Yeah, um, no the the other the other question um, uh, was um, uh, malware uh, in general. Uh, there is definitely evidence of malware using uh, WMI storage. Yeah. Uh, for um, for uh, payloads. Uh, and uh, pivoting kind of purposes as well. If you look at the Empire Project, which I'm sure you're yep. familiar with. I am. Um, so any, any, works. <laughs> yeah. 
any of the work that you're doing um, on the defensive side there, uh, are you looking at it from the perspective of, of payloads and things stored in, in different WMI classes? Yeah, so, uh, so the WMI event subscriptions are all built off of classes that already exist. And so uh, there's uh, an underscore underscore event filter class, which basically will uh, maintain a query. So you could say, select, for instance, select star from Win32 process. Um, and so... And, and then you usually would give it like a, queer, uh, a queue, uh, what is it, uh, an interval, a time interval that you're going to check, right? And so you could say select star from Win32 process within 10 seconds or something along those lines. Um, then you would have a consumer. And so by default, uh, there are five different types of consumers. Uh, active script event consumer, which allows you to run an arbitrary VB script, which is VB is a big pain in my side. Um, there's an NT event log event consumer, which allows you to write out uh, to the event log. There's like an SMTP event consumer, which you can send an email. Not necessarily scalable, but kind of interesting. Um, and so you, you end up marrying those two things together and saying, hey, I want filter X to be uh, married to consumer Y via what they call a binding. And, uh, and then when an event occurs that matches that filter, it's going to execute whatever your consumer is. And so... Um, in the case of Uproot, one of the kind of default uh, consumers that we use is this VB script, which uh, I actually stole from some research that Matt Graber was doing with uh, APT29 while he was at uh, FireEye. They, they were actually using event consumers to be able to call out to the Internet and, and uh, download, download uh, their tools or whatever mm. And so uh, for persistence. And so uh, I ended up basically using that same com object. It's the Internet Explorer com object. Every time an event occurs, it's going to kick off an HTTP POST request, and you can send that out uh, with all the data revolving around the event that occurred to Splunk or Logstash or um, any of those types of tools. So it's pretty, oh, pretty very, very cool. Very cool. Yeah, so it's, it's pretty interesting because we've, uh, we've really actually almost learned from the malware authors on how to leverage this technology to do defense as well. Uh, so it's been, that's been interesting research. There's a nice, nice symmetry to that. <laughs> right, exactly. Carlos. Carlos, you're oh. muted, buddy. What would you say to all of those proponents out there that say that PowerShell's not forensically sound? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so... Uh, this, is a of, this is a softball, right? Yeah. <laughs> that was a planned so, question. Yeah, so Carlos... It, it, it's, it's a thorn in his side that I yeah, know of. Yeah, yeah, so... It, uh, one of my coworkers, uh, Justin Warner, he's one of the main uh, contributors to Empire. He he told a bunch of a bunch of buddies of ours that they like to troll me every time I tweet about Power Forensics or something, just to say, oh yeah, I thought uh, PowerShell's not forensically sound, and kind of make fun of it. Um, and so <laughs> Carlos knows that that just you know irks me quite a bit. So PowerShell in general, I mean, is as forensically sound as you're going to make it, right? And so the the idea behind Power Forensics in particular is that. The only Windows API that we're actually using is the create file API, which gives us a handle to the hard drive. Um, and so when you're doing, for instance, uh, using DD to, to make an image of a disk, you're going to use, you have to get a file to the disk in order to read from the disk, right? And so um, that's what we're doing. Once we get that, we start reading in bytes, and then we, all the interpretation of bytes and determining, you know, the, where the partitions are, you know, where the master file table is, where a file's contents actually exist on, on disk, that's all completely done through code that we've written. So, you know, if somebody hooks a Windows API that allows you to determine, uh, read, read a file, for example, that's not, that's not going to affect uh, power forensics, you know, forensic uh, capabilities. It's also, 
because we're reading it this way, we're never actually touching a file per se. We're just touching bytes which happen to represent a file. And so uh, in, in doing that, we're not altering timestamps and things of that nature that might uh, be considered forensically unsound. Now, um, I know that in, in information that we got from you is that you have been working in insert response, specifically in hunting. Uh, that term has been thrown around in many conferences, but very few people actually explain what insert response hunting is actually about. What yeah. are the advantages it provides? Can you explain a bit more about that? Gonna yeah, ask, so, I was going to ask the same question, Carlos. Cool. Yeah, so <laughs> hunting, from my perspective, has almost started to take on the same kind of con connotation that threat intel has taken on, right? So it started off with these really cool ideas, and then, you know, the marketers got a hold of it and ended up uh, kind of making it mean not so much or not as specific of a, of a thing. But uh, originally, the hunting, I, I, I would argue, was kind of started within the DOD, right? And so... Um, in the Air Force, we used to say, you know, that the idea of hunting is built off of the assumed breach mentality, right? So uh, at the end of the day, if you're a large enough organization, there is likely somebody that's going to be well-funded enough to be able to get, gain access to your network. And, uh, and I mean, we, we see that in pen tests and red teams all the time. All you have to do is send, you know, 20 people an email and somebody of some, one per, at least one person of those 20 people is going to click on it give you access and then it's just a matter of you know finding out, uh, where a domain administrator is logged in uh, getting access to that system via like a you know reuse passwords on local administrator and then escalating right and so um, you know we we have this defense in depth concept that we've been using over time um, and defense in depth is great right you need to have some baseline to where you have AV and intrusion detection and things of these, this nature but you ultimately you need to uh, the idea behind hunting is that those things aren't enough, right? You know, there's some person or some organization that has, you know, infiltrated your network, bypassing all those capabilities. Those things are for kind of the low-hanging fruit. Um, and so the idea is, is that you're ultimately uh, going to take humans, right? A, a well-trained human that's going to actively go out and uh, and look for look, you know, scan the network, look for processes, services, all types of uh, of artifacts, I guess, and uh, look for evidence of an intrusion. So it's more, I guess, much more pro. It's similar activities to incident response, but you're doing it uh, without a starting point. You don't have that, you know, uh, patient zero that you would have in incident response. Um, and you're also uh, doing it at a much larger scale, right? Because incident response, you have a starting point. You have somewhere that you're going to, you kind of find those pivots, right? You you find okay, so this this computer that I know has has been had an intruder on it, right? Um, it has connection network connections to this other computer over here. So I'm going to go investigate that system. Well, what we're doing is we're just scanning every system, trying to figure out where something you know an anomaly is, and then investigating that anomaly uh, to determine whether it's benign or actually something malicious. But Jared, we've been doing this for a long time. I mean, when we if you look at the general definition and the general description that you gave, this is something we've been doing for a long time. For example, when I worked at the university in 2001, I knew that if there was a particular banner on a system or I saw a specific pattern of traffic leaving, that that system was already compromised. And because I was one security person with, you know, well, back then it wasn't a gigabit, right? But you know, 20,000 students, um, 20,000 or 30,000 networking devices, um, and all these people, I, I, I couldn't do the preventative or detection. 
I just went right to like looking for what was already compromised. So we've been sure. doing this for a long time. So what, what has changed over time that this has become like a thing? Yeah. So, I'm, you know, that's, that's a good point. So that's I when think the marketing kicks in. Yeah. I think, I think there is <laughs> mm-hmm. a serious marketing piece to it. Right. But, uh, I think ultimately a lot of, a lot of very large organizations. So maybe I, it's kind of a, you know, taking your organization and having them specifically, you know, go out and engage. Right. So as opposed to just the, the one guy that's trying to figure out, you know, do his best. Right. A lot of people have written batch scripts to be able to, you know, do system startup, startup scripts and run and, you know, list out all processes and things of that nature. But this is almost a concerted effort that an organization is taking uh, towards being more proactive about their defense. So in so, general, so Jared, oh, do you, do you do this on, is this an activity that you do on the endpoint? Is this something you look at the network traffic? Do you look at net flow or do you look at the logs or are you looking at everything? Yeah, so you're looking at everything, but I think, uh, so in general, right, you're looking at everything. I think from, from my perspective, hunting is really being much more aggressive in the way that you look at the endpoint. Um, so is hunting a philosophy or is it a technology? It's a philosophy, I believe. Okay. That's the way you seem to be describing this more of a philosophy. Yeah. The way I see it is that typically in your environment, um, you have your IDS, your IPS, you have your... Uh, sim, it has a couple of rules for looking for stuff, and in your typical environment, something triggers, and then you go to that host, and you go, hey, I think I'm compromised, let me go into this host, start looking at what happened there, and then I start moving laterally across my network to see if I can detect any of those uh, indications that somebody was in my network. Sure. Now, when it goes to hunting, is that you have a specific set of rules, specific set of actions that your team has already planned and is constantly looking for and going into the different systems and just going in and looking at the data without having that initial trigger that tells you, hey, right. I'm compromised. You're looking for that. You're looking at it. And also when it comes to hunting, one of the things that I've seen between red and blue teams is that here comes uh, red. They go like, this is how I got in. Here come, And they work with blue and they tell them, this is how you would have detected me. And they are constantly feeding yep. inside of those loop uh, where um, I typically see hunting when, when red works with blue. That's where you see a very good hunting team that yep. actually feeds out of each other and have that cycle of information sharing. Well, uh, so for me, and I've been, I've been kind of uh, not forthcoming with all the information about me on this topic, right? Uh, I'm the CEO of Offensive Countermeasures, as I recently announced. And we do have a, a product that falls in this space. So I'm asking questions as if yep. I don't understand the space for the benefit <laughs> sure. of our listeners mm-hmm. uh, sure. who may not be as familiar with the space uh, mm-hmm. as some of us here on the show today. But so uh, having that, I'll ask another question, which like I have my answer to, but I want to hear Jared's answer to. Sure. So it sounds like over time we have been, le- we should be, if we're going to embrace hunt teaming, we should be less focused on the preventative side, less focused on the detection side in that you're trying to detect the attack. And we're looking at the hunting for the result of a successful attack. Sure. Also yeah, so the behavior. And yeah, behavior think, too. No, behavior that results from a successful attack. And I think I've got right. some great follow-ons potentially go, to that. Go ahead. I'll let you yeah, I think, I think <laughs> ultimately it's a maturity deal, right? So, um, 
the preventative stuff in a perfect world is going to be just kind of, you know, standard, right? That's like antivirus is going to be there. Intrusion detection is going to be there. You have people that are firewalls, trained to antivirus. Yeah. Fire, all, I would say antivirus firewalls, um, intrusion detection, prevention, sure. right? Fall in yes. that preventative category that you need that to just get rid of the, as I was saying before, the low hanging fruit. Sure. Yeah. Right. We were talking about this earlier. Yeah. I overuse the term low hanging fruit and trying you to do trying to, <laughs> but that it was appropriate there, right? It was okay. Good. More or less. <laughs> Well, he's really talking about Sorry. It. So, go ahead, Jared. No, go so ahead, Jared. now would be a good time just to ask the basic question. What do you, you know, define the term? What do, what do you mean by hunting? Because Paul has an idea. Jared has an idea. But just, you know, in general, what's the definition of the term? Yeah, so I think the general definition of the term is specifically going into your network with the idea that there is likely an adversary and then looking for uh, indicators of that adversary's activity. And I'm not talking, when I talk about indicators, I'm not necessarily talking about, um, you know, signatures for plug X or something like that. I'm talking about specifically, you know, that's where Car Carlos kind of comes in with what he was saying about the red and blue, right? So during, during uh, the attacker methodology, right, you're, you have certain things that you need to do, right? And so let's say privilege escalation is one of the things that an attacker must do in order to achieve their objective, whatever that objective may be. Um, so maybe we want to go out and specifically look for uh, privilege escalation uh, techniques, right? So things like at jobs or scheduled tasks or uh, services that have uh, had different binary paths associated with them, things of that nature. And so we're just going to go through the entire network and look for any evidence of privilege escalation having occurred. So are you looking for evidence that it's happened or evidence that it's the capability is still there? Yeah, so uh, you would... In hunting, I think you're specifically looking for evidence that it's happened, okay. but I think there is definitely value in looking to see if, uh, if it's possible, right? And so that's where I, I, I think that's kind of more of a pen test or vulnerability assessment type field to where you're, you know, doing that standard, you take somebody's standard image or gold disk and you, you assess it to determine whether or not, you know, services are vulnerable to some sort of privilege escalation attack and things of that nature. Gotcha. So I'm desperate to make a comment here, but um, <laughs> go Joff, go Joff. Quick, quick, let's talk over Joff so he can go Joff. Yeah, yeah. All right. so, Larry so was next, but then Jeff Joff. went, and now jo the Joff. Jeff and the Joffs are trumping you. Go Joff. It's yeah. fine. It's fine. So, so I teach a little bit about this topic, and um, I'm pretty actively involved. So, full disclaimer, um, and I work with Paul on this particular topic. So, um, but. Um, I think the, the, um, there's an interesting observation that Paul made, and that is those of us who grew up in the space of university, um, which I did as well, um, hunting is very intuitive because that's all you've got. Mm. Um, yeah. and, and Paul like went straight to that intuitive space, and I totally get that. But for those who uh, live in the world of, of much tighter policies, much tighter defense, which is yep. most of our corporations, uh, the concept of hunting is is a little less intuitive. Um, and I think that's where the leap needs to be made. Um, that and, and you said it very well, Jared, and that is with hunting, you're assuming that compromise has likely occurred and you're searching for those macro-level indicators of compromise. Right? You're, you're searching for those, those bad citizen behaviors in the environment. Um, so that that's the leap that I think a lot of um, our customers kind of have trouble making. A lot of our people that we deal with have trouble making that leap. 
because they're used to a world where their defensive solutions are working well and they don't feel like they have to dedicate those resources towards that hunting or activity. or aren't they mm-hmm. just comf- comfortably numb you know they well, that, that may, be, may be true also, but um, I, I think that's where, you know, I, I think Paul and I almost, like, like together on this issue are like, but wait, this is so intuitive. This is so yeah, natural. Yeah, yeah. But, if, but if you grew up in a university world, that's exactly what you did. Like, you were hunting all the time because there were no defenses. Well, and yeah, and to, to build on Josh's point, when you're working at a university, for example, you don't have oftentimes the budget to implement all of those fancy security things that we talked about earlier, firewalls, IDS, right. as much as you'd like. You also don't have control over a large portion of your user base, which right. means that people are getting owned and there's nothing you can do about it. So you might as well just go look for who's owned because that's the only thing you can do about yep. it. When you're in a corporation, I think that I don't want – I'm trying not to say that like – you're cocky about your security posture. But you're but cocky about your no, security posture. You're more confident. <laughs> you have more confidence in the security of your network because you have yeah, more ulti- control. Yeah, oh, but you have more control. control. Yeah. Allegedly ultimate control. Right. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I do want to bring out one more point um, that I think Jared was probably about to make anyway, but I'll make it. Uh, and that is it's a difference between known bad and unknown bad. I mean, your your traditional defensive technologies work very well with known bad, right? Known research threats. Um, the unknown bad is where hunt uh, hunting activities come into play. Mm. So, so, Larry, sorry, yes. I want to give Larry the floor now. Uh, sure. Sorry, you've been waiting so patiently. <clears throat> no, it's no, it's not a problem. So, I, I want to tie a little bit of potentially the hunt to some PowerShell. Sure. Yeah, good. Please ask a question of our guests because we've been talking. (laughs) We haven't given poor Jared the opportunity to talk in this whole thing. Sorry, Jared. So, Jared, you know, thinking about, um, you know, getting some information potentially for doing some hunt out of PowerShell, um, uh, is there any way we can get logging from PowerShell and have them being segmented and sortable in some fashion enough so that we can organize them and make them useful? Are you you specifically asking about logging of... Of PowerShell? Yes, or, logging of PowerShell, yes. Yeah, so that's going to uh, be when you upgrade to WMF5 or PowerShell version 5. Um, it, it has tons of additional uh, logging mechanisms. So it does script lock logging, for example. Uh, uh, every Literally everything you run is going to be logged out to the Windows event log. Then you're going to need to use something like Windows event forwarding to forward that into a centralized uh, SIM or you know, Splunk or something along those lines. Um, but it, it really starts once you've upgraded to PowerShell 5. Now, okay. you say upgraded. Does that mean it's tied, that PowerShell version 5 is tied to a specific operating system version? Uh, so Carlos probably has the exact answer, but I believe PowerShell version 5 uh, comes standard with uh, Windows, Windows 10. 10. Yep. yep. Yeah, and, and then you can uh, actually but, upgrade 2012, yeah, 2008 R2. Gotcha. Are you sure 7's included, Carlos? I was looking for yes. that exact answer this week. Now, when you're working with 7, there's a caveat there. You need to first install .NET Framework 4.5, upgrade to Windows Management Framework 4, and then from 4, upgrade to 5. There's an upgrade path that you need to go through. Followed by a root canal and drilling out your... When we look at PowerShell, one of the things... Um, yeah, it's being abused by many of, in the red team, but also as a... Uh, great person that I know, Lee Holmes, always mentions is when you compare PowerShell logging to what 
you get from Ruby, Python, VBScript, and CMD batch files, PowerShell actually rocks for the blue team in terms of what they provide, even in version 3, 4, uh, before oh, oh, add all that stuff in 5. Uh, compared to all, all of the other scripting solutions out there that log nothing at all in a system, PowerShell mm -hmm. at least tells you, hey, I ran at this time, I ended at this other method, this, uh, this were the modules I loaded. It all depends on how you configure everything, but it gives you a, a trail for you to follow uh, versus some of the other tools out there. And that's where one of the key things that Jared mentioned before, material level of the organization comes into play. If your organization is mature enough to know all of this stuff and have researched it and implemented it, they have a heads up on everything that's happening. If they don't, well, shame on them. Can I go back and touch on the uh, the hunting concept? Yeah, I had to... sure. Okay, yeah. So yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I think Paul touched on this, but uh, the the idea behind hunting it almost is like a grassroots effort or kind of like the guerrilla warfare concept of computer security. So um, ultimately, you have these large organizations who have like nearly unlimited budgets as far as uh, cybersecurity or computer security goes. And, uh, and so they're, they're looking to find some automated solution that they can pay for, right, pay for it once and then or maybe multiple times over a year with a fixed cost, um, and then they, they just are good, right? And so they want this shiny box that's going to do, you know, magic and stop bad guys from attacking them, when ultimately what, what the hunting concept kind of goes towards is investing in people that are going to uh, be able to kind of use their intelligence to do things that a, a box isn't capable of doing at this point, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think I think a lot of the organizations that really can use hunting are these larger organizations that specifically have the budget to just buy whatever they, you know, whatever the next fancy uh, fancy security solution is. That would be but Paul's that, company. We put yeah. a, we make it fancy with some nice packaging. It comes with a right. bow and the whole yeah. nice. So nice. so to be glitter. A, Great. To be a total shell about this, because I'm working with Paul. <laughs> don't, wow. Don't you think that um, some data analytics uh, technology can be assistive, though, in, in that respect? I do. I completely subscribe to that yeah. theory. No, I, yeah. <laughs> so, so I wasn't saying that in the sense that you shouldn't buy security solutions, right? Security At the end of the day, data analytics, like uh, something as simple as Splunk or a database or you know even fancier things are, are important. But organizations need to understand that investing in their, their human resources is going to be very beneficial. Mm -hmm. yeah, if you sell make a product our products creating. more fancy. So got what it, I'm hearing it. is... Well, I think he's bringing a, a forward a really good point, and that is there is no you know smoking gun, silver bullet, especially in the hunting space. There's more of a... Um, in any space. Yeah, in, well, mm. in any space, truly. But there's more of a uh, anomalous detection, kind of highlighting... Technology that might highlight the challenges, but it still takes a very smart human to actually chase them down. Mm -hmm. But that's not what I want. I want something just to tell me what's been owned in my environment. Tell me what's Sp compromised. Hundred percent. Like so to that, spoken like a true. No CEO. false negatives. No false positives. hundred so, percent. Tell me what's compromised. The kiosk in the lobby is then you have compromised. To look at behavior. Who cares? What What difference does that make? You need to invest I still want in to know AI about. and behavior analysis. Yeah. So to behavior analysis. And more PowerShell. Without PowerShell logging, is there any way that we can do PowerShell remoting observation, PowerShell injection? Um, and what type of footprints are we looking at 
from either red team or or attacker activities? Yeah, so uh, so Matt Graber actually came up with a really cool signature for Uproot, for example. So um, PowerShell in and of itself, the PowerShell.exe is just a console or an, or an interpreter, right? So there, underlying there is the system.management.automation.dll, which contains all of the classes, uh, .NET classes that are that make up uh, PowerShell. Right, and so, so, so very much Ben 10 PowerShell without PowerShell. Exactly, yep. And so um, ultimately what's happening is uh, things like Empire are injecting that system.management.automation.dll into, into other processes, right? And so in order to, in order to actually get PowerShell execution um, in LSAS, for example, like they show in their, in their presentation, you have to have that PowerShell DLL, system.management.automation.dll loaded into that process's memory space. And so what you can do with, with WMI event subscriptions is say, hey, I want you to monitor Win32 module load trace, that class, for when system.management.automation.dll is loaded into a process that is not PowerShell.exe or PowerShell underscore ISE.exe. And so uh, that, I mean, that's literally as simple as it gets because so there's hot. no... There's no reason for it. It is hot. System. No, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's no reason for it to happen in something that's not PowerShell. This makes me moist. There you go. <laughs> is it? And, and, we call that on the, on the cigar pocket. We just call that wet spot in my shorts. There that's we go. Now we can. Now we can transition <laughs> on to second place, right? Nice. So, nice, that's awesome. so what I'm hearing is there's this is philosophical. This is technique. This is intuitive for those that grew up in a university environment. There's tools involved that help the process. But what you know? What are like the the top three or five sort of techniques or things that you do if you're in an organization and you want to attempt this thing called hunting? You know, how do you how do you recommend somebody get getting started? It's really yeah. simple. You go into your email. Uh, that was program. a question for Jared. Yeah, you go into your email Paul, program. You send an email to sales at offensivecountermeasures. <laughs> oh no, sorry, I'll stop now. <laughs> Besides, buy your product. No, oh man, just kidding. Sorry. Yeah, so <laughs> so I think one of the one of the best things that you could do is really get your people uh, familiar with operating system internals, whether that depending on what type of operating system you have in your environment. So knowing things as simple as SVC host, you know, needs to be running out of Windows System 32, and it needs to have certain command line arguments associated with it, is very valuable when you're going through a list of tons of processes, right? They, I think, you know, if you look at the FireEye or the uh, you know, who all Verizon comes out with their annual report. The number one malware malware name is svchost.exe because there's 47 of them running on your on your computer at any time, right? right and so right. just kind of blending in. And so uh, being able being familiar with what is normal and what's not normal, I think, is probably the one of the best skills that you see from people that are doing well in this space. But that's true of security in general. Is Agree. Knowing what's normal so that you can detect what's not normal. I mean, that, that's, that's Again, we come so. down to the material level of the organization. What is the material level of that organization? If, you're, if you want to implement hunting and that organization doesn't invest in training, doesn't invest in the people, uh, people are not pushed to go in and do this kind of work, but instead are always in that firefighting mode of, oh, the system's down, let me fix it. Oh, we have an infection, let me go in and, and clean it out of the system. Um, you're not going to be able to implement this. You need to have that environment that actually pushes you to this. It's just like we have talked for many years about, hey, this is how you fix the system and nobody does it or only a handful do. And that's when we come back to that 
phrase the material level of the organization as, the group as Michael St. Archangel would say how tall do I need to be to ride the ride yeah, yeah. but um, I mean but but what I I'm hearing that, is this goes all the way back I mean this is old this is this is Cliff Stahl in the cuckoo's egg you know noticing a discrepancy in in the in the bill and, and yes. tracking it down. I mean, he, he yes, noticed something that was out of the ordinary. So the, the concept that the theoretical is not new. So it's old. It's not like Jack Daniel old, but it's old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's but, getting but, there. but you're, you're right, Jeff. I mean, what, what's old is new again is, yep. is certainly a, a valid commentary on, on hunting. Um, it, but, but also I, I would have to agree with Carlos that um, hunting is more of a mature organization activity, I believe, because there is a fundamental tenet here, and that is we're looking for uh, what is unknown bad. Uh, you know, known bad is covered. All of our existing defensive solutions that have signature-based technologies, certain level heuristic technologies, they've got the known bad covered, right? Well, well, that's after a certain period when you're of defining. Time, no, like when I, is it known? Yeah. Paul and I were talking about this earlier before the broadcast. You know, there, there's. There's a mature organization, and there's organizations that have invested in all the security technologies, the silver bullets. They've got them all, and yet they still get popped. They still get owned. There's still major breaches. Well, that's the point. That's what opens up the market, yeah. uh, frankly, for, for the hunting concept because they're getting popped because people are crafting advanced malware manually, right? That's why right. they get popped. Every, everything can be defeated, plus there's that, that level of, uh, you know, all the tech, you know, every one of these detect, every one of these protective technologies. There's a way to get around them. And exactly. What I'm hearing is the hunt is assuming that that's taken place. Then what do you look for? Exactly. I feel like we should ask Jared another question, though. We should. <laughs> so, I feel like we're uh, maybe I'll punt that back to Paul. Go ahead, Paul. <laughs> Sorry, Jared. So, um, what else on hunting? Uh, what are some of the uh, practical techniques that you would recommend to our listeners who are now interested in doing some hunting? Yeah, so so ultimately it's gathering tons of data, putting it into something that you can easily ingest and then analyze uh, for anomalies, right? And then being able to quickly quickly investigate those anomalies. And so that's where that power forensics concept comes in, right? You, you don't have time it, when you're, let's say, 100,000 endpoints in a network, right? You're you're scanning those. You have you have a process listing from 100,000 endpoints, just for simplicity's sake, and and you have you know 40, you know, or let's say 400, really anomalous acti- uh, process listing process names, right? Uh, you want to go investigate those systems. Well, you're not going to do 400 you know disk images and then bring those back to the forensic shop and give uh, give them you know two weeks to investigate each one of those, right? Because that's just not practical. So ultimately, you need to have people that have the skill, kind of, kind of enough of the skill to do forensic analysis. And then when they find a binary that's, that's strange, they have enough of the skill to do you know, enough malware reversing to, or binary reversing to determine whether or not you know, that needs to be pushed up to kind of the next tier of uh, reverse engineers, things of that nature. So uh, ultimately, my perspective is a hunter is somebody that is very, very well-rounded in um, kind of more advanced techniques of defense, right? So things like digital forensics and things like uh, malware reverse engineering or memory forensics, things of that nature. They're, but they're able to do it in a very rapid fashion. It's kind of the, the idea so behind can it. Can I ask a question, Paul? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, Jared, 
um, it, it feels to me like we're facing that same old problem in the information security industry of lack of enough talented people. How, how, do, you, how do you respond to that in the hunting context in that we've got so many other things going on yeah. uh, in, in the information security industry generally? Yeah, so, oh man, so that I, I would say that that is, in fact, one of the biggest problems, right? So ultimately, there's not enough skilled technicians, quote unquote, to be able to perform hunting at the, at the large scale or do things like digital forensics and malware reverse engineering and things of that nature because uh, over the past you know, decade or so, we've been worried about making sure that all the patch, patches are pushed out or making sure you know, that the you know, email server is, is not messed up. Or like in, in the Air Force, we once had you know, the, the general's wife can't send him an email and so, uh, you know, everybody needs to drop everything and make sure that the, the general's wife has an exception that can send, a, send, a, send an email to her husband at work. And so, um, you know, ultimately, that's where kind of this investment in people really comes in. Um, but people really need to have the, the personal drive in order to help that out, right? Like, I could send you to as many training classes as, as I can, and you may not learn what you, what you need to learn. But there are people that are going to open a book and, you know, and, and read what they need to read and learn what they need to learn on their own. And so those are the types of people that we need to be encouraging and investing in. So I have a question, mm -hmm. um, sort of an application question. You know, Paul and I were talking before the broadcast about, you know, there's a lot of companies now that are, that are migrating to the cloud. They're trying to outsource as much as they can IT and security and cybersecurity. Uh, for, for the companies out there that are, that are kind of, on board with that, shall we say, you know, what is what is the recommendation? What, what would you say to companies that are they think they've outsourced all their security worries to the cloud or MSSP? What should they focus on from a hunt perspective? Yeah, so well, gosh, the cloud is is a fun concept, right? From the forensics perspe perspective, from the security perspective in general, I think uh, when you're talking, all employed. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, so. Ultimately, I mean, like, let's say company X is using a cloud provider um, and that, that cloud provider gets hacked and company X, it, you know, their SQL database that has tons of personal information in it uh, gets accessed and, you know, they lose tons of records. Com the, company that, the company that's hosting the information probably isn't going to get as bad, bad of marketing or <coughs> as bad of press as the company whose information was stolen. Right. And so I, I think you still... Um, at the end of the day, need to take a you. You can't just write the check and say, "Hey, it's in the cloud. It's you know not my problem anymore." Right. Um, I think you need to still take a proactive approach. And uh, a number of like, just because it's in the cloud doesn't mean that you're not going to be able to provide the same type of security that you would <coughs> otherwise. Right. So you could still access those systems and and query information on them, all that kind of stuff. Run run a forensic investigation. So, yeah, putting it up in the cloud is, is not a blank check to just pass pass uh, the blame or the, uh, can't think of the word. Yeah, ba basically just passing passing the check well, over it's, to somebody it's else. liability. They, yeah, liability. Companies that's the think that the liability has shifted to whoever yep. the hosting providers are, the MSSPs. Right. Yep. Yeah, so if that's how the company wants to run their organization, and at the end of the day, they are going to accept the risk of when that, you know, hosting provider gets hacked and their information gets stolen, and that's, that's their prerogative, but I, I just think that, you know, at the end of the day, the consumer is going to say, hey, this company lost my information, and so it, that's going to affect the, you know, the company that's 
sending information to the cloud more so than the actual cloud provider itself. So I have another question. The which final I've, question. Final question. Make it a which, good one, Jeff. Until we get I've to been, the five questions. <laughs> which I've been wrestling with. Final question, but make it a good one. I've been wrestling with this a lot. Have you got any thoughts, and this is going to be a very open question, have you got any thoughts about the juxtaposition of mobile devices and hunting? Oh, boy. Um, to be honest, I have very little experience with mobile devices, um, and I think that that's probably one of the bigger issues going forward, this whole uh, you know, BYO M or whatever, whatever the new, the little fancy acronym <laughs> Whatever the is. acronym is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. BYO, <laughs> fill in the blank. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. I think, you know, mobile devices, everybody stores all their information on them. And when somebody gets access to them, they have all your contacts, they have your home address, they have, you know, where, where you've been, what your schedule is, all that kind of stuff. And so, um, yeah, I, to be honest, I don't have a good answer for how you attack that problem, but I know that it, it is a problem that's just going to get worse and worse as we go forward. Just look at, I mean, look at the fappening, right? That's a good example of people Don't getting. Don't mind it. if I do. Celebgate. <laughs> Celebgate. Yeah. Celebgate. Okay. I have thanks, a story off air for that, by the way. Thanks, Jared. I, I think Paul's due to ask you the five. Five questions with Security Weekly. Jared, are you ready to play five questions? I am. Let's All righty. Three words to describe yourself. Oh, gosh. Uh, that's, that's two. That's two. <laughs> hipster. Hipster is the last one. Oh, gosh, hister. Hipster. hipster even i like i like that answer that was good yeah. <laughs> that was good uh question number two if you were to write a book about yourself what would the title be oh gosh hipster yeah no <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> can i use the same answer no uh let's do from history major to powershell player the jared atkinson story if oh, you were a serial awesome. killer what would be your weapon of choice PowerShell, um, obviously. Yeah, well, no, yeah, PowerShell. <laughs> no. uh, probably an icicle. Nice. Evidence, That's a popular, popular answer. Is it? Okay. In the popular game of Ask Grabby Grabby, do you prefer to go first or second? Uh, definitely first. I'm a touchy-feely person. So. Excellent. That's good to know when we see you at a conference. Um, <laughs> the final question. Choose two celebrities to be your parents. Alive, dead, fictional, or otherwise. Oh, gosh. Uh... George Clooney need the need the good looks. Let's see. And now's the time to find out if you have mommy issues. Yeah. <laughs> you want to choose someone hot, but then yeah. you're like, oh, no, that's my mom. I can't yeah. choose someone hot. God, now, yeah. Um, Susan Sarandon. Now that you've now that you've made me uh, not have a hot oh. mom. Yeah, no, oh, totally derailed the guy. <laughs> you yeah. threw me off, yeah. yeah. I mean, you can have a hot mom. That's totally, nope, totally legit. Nope. Sue Sarandon's pretty. Wasn't she? What was the she baseball was. movie that she was in? Uh, Bull, Durham. Bull, Bull Durham. Durham. Yeah. She was Bull hot Durham. in Bull Durham. Yeah. She's also in Rocky Horror. Oh, yeah. That's right. She is? Wow. wow. Hey, Jeff, you're old. Yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. I I Damn really it, Janet. Susan Sarandon even came to my mind. <laughs> <laughs> it was like the first celebrity that yeah. No, that's good. Yeah, that's did good. she does she have anything in the fappening? Uh, no, she did not. Okay. She is topless in a movie. I forget what it is, but I'm sure on Mr. Skin or something you could pretty figure it out. Nice. 
Not that I know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Apparently, Jared will point us right at the correct website. So <laughs> no worries. We'll wait for that information. Jared, thank you very much for appearing on Security Weekly. It's wonderful having you talking about PowerShell and hunting. Stay tuned, everyone, for the next segment, which will be security news. So stay tuned. Don't go anywhere. Security Weekly is brought to you by NetSparker, the developers of desktop and cloud-based web application security scanners that enable you to automatically identify vulnerabilities in your web applications and web services. NetSparker scanners employ a unique and dead-accurate vulnerability scanning engine that automatically verifies vulnerabilities with a proof of concept. For more information, visit them on the web at netsparker.com or email them at contact at netsparker.com. ProXPN is the leading VPN service, offering free accounts, excellent premium features, and an outstanding commitment to privacy and security online. Use the discount code WEEKLY and save 50% off for life. Tenable Network Security, creators of Nessus, the world's best vulnerability scanner. Jumpstart your security program today and evaluate Security Center CV, the continuous monitoring solution. For more information, visit them on the web at tenable.com. Overwhelmed when it comes time to choose which cigar to smoke? Confused by the differences between 60 Ring Gauge, Robusto, Corona, and Lancero? Do you yearn to try all the new cigars on the market, but need a guide to tell you where to start? Look no further than the Stogie Geek Show! Hosted by yours truly and Will Cooper, we've made it our mission to educate both new and experienced cigar smokers. Tune in for interviews with leaders in the cigar industry, how-to segments, and weekly cigar reviews. Visit StogieGeeks.com to subscribe to our podcast, watch the live show, and discover our video archives. Stogie Geeks, geeks kicking ass. Welcome back, everyone, to Security Weekly. And Paul's double fisting. I'm double fisting. because <coughs> it's that is a metaphor. St. Patrick's Day. I got in my left hand, Tom Collins. Mm. It's a refreshing summer drink. It is I think. a good drink. And then I've got an old fashioned. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's just the old standby. It's mm. like the it's like the drink the here. Go to. It's the go to in the studio. And that's not the only thing he's double fisting. Oh, <laughs> whoa! Speaking whoa. of double fisting, shall we talk oh. about? Larry's trying to focus on the stories. Okay. <laughs> we got a lot to talk about. Come on now. Where do you want to start? If we're going to go to the fisting, why don't we talk about sex toys? <laughs> <laughs> Seemed like a natural segue to me. <sighs> so my first you question can. is, sex toys, <laughs> internet connected, yes, why? <laughs> Larry, do you want to field this question? <laughs> so internet you're connected? You're the expert internet in this Internet connected area. sex toys. Like literally, you're the expert in this area. <laughs> that's... That's frightening, actually. For a lot of reasons. So so why internet-connected sex toys? Well, why not? Do you travel quite a bit, Mr. Man? Yes, yes, I Would do. Would it not be nice to have some communication back home to your wife? On, in, in, you know, we used to talk about this whole concept of phone sex, right? Right. Well, what if you could reach out and touch someone? Literally, Jeff, rem- Jeff remembers smoke signal sex, which just wasn't <laughs> as appealing. <laughs> yeah, there's lots of coughing, burns, and burns. <laughs> You're confusing me. Sex, wife. Yeah, I've been married a long time. Wow. Oh, okay, all right. So when you, wow. so when you, so when you travel, 
and, and I'm counting you know, on, when you're away I'm from, counting on the fact that she's you, never going to watch this. Here's getting at. When you're away from your spouse, yes, in, and your you, girlfriend is in another city, you want to be intimate. I didn't say that, Larry. You want to be intimate with your spouse. There was smoke signal sex. There was mm-hmm. phone sex. sex. Now, there's now there's like well, there's like there was video you know, there was pager sex. sex. But, but no, yeah, there's pager it's, sex. It's very, it's very much yeah. like but pager sex. Yep. But then yeah, there was then there's like camp webcam sex. I yep. guess you could say. Now it's progressed to a whole level where you can have a sex toy. Mm-hmm. Your significant other can have a sex toy. And you can control each, each other's, other's sex, sex toy, toy while you're watching each other. Or talking on the phone. Or talking or on the phone or whatever. This right. is that way just too fabulous. Yeah. But it's okay. very complicated. It's, this is how millennials have sex. Sexual okay. interaction. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It started with sexting and it went to its natural progression. Well, you could... Con- I mean, toys you can control uh, online. Conceivably, some of these, I would assume, you could, you're in you're in the same room with your partner. Could be. And you're controlling sure. via wireless the other person's sex toy. This is yeah, where technology via, is via I can see your face, Jeff. You're like, this is really a thing. This is really, <laughs> this is a, really thing. a thing. It is really a thing. This is really a thing. This is really a thing. I have yes. two of them at home. Yes. <laughs> For strictly research purposes. Right. Exactly. It takes right. hacking to a whole new level. And this, but is, Larry, what I and this is, is what the cavalry is trying to protect. Yes. Yeah, okay. well, so, but Larry, right. what I want to know is when you take your uh, sex toy, which now like plugs into a charger, uh-huh. like how, how do you, you would just like leave it on the counter? Like you got your iPad and your phone and your sex toy charging all, all in a row? <laughs> yeah. Why not? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah. now, but there's ones that, what are these, some of these, do they wirelessly talk to your computer or USB? Usually, your, usually your mobile device. Well, it used to be called teledildonics. Tele- exactly, yeah. exactly. That was de- it was technically the term. Yeah. <laughs> right. Okay, I'm just. And it was uh, uh, the term teledildonics <laughs> was invented. I want to say in the 1960s, and I used to know this right off the top of my head by a man who was definitely not something that you wanted to think about while thinking about teledildonics. Yeah, yeah. Because oh, so it could be controlled over the telephone. Is that where the name yeah. comes from? Yeah. Oh. Remote controlled via you know, via some data mechanism and tele that was at the time. Yeah. I- Sex just drives technology. When we look at the technology yeah. we have on the internet today, well, the well, porn well, industry has driven. Well, yeah, technology. You think, you porn, think, you I know think that about porn Blu-ray built versus, the internet, uh, right. Blu- Blu-ray versus HD DVD. Yeah, streaming the porn video, industry PayPal, took VHS and Betamax. Posting. Was that driven by the porn industry as well? Yes, probably. Yeah, yeah pretty much. Yep. Well, that was the whole thing: is you could rent it. Yeah. Rather than having to go into a CD shop and buy oh, yeah. it, right? You now you can just watch it on the internet. Then you just had to go in a CD place and rent it. Mm. Right. Now you can go on the internet. What was the porn site that got hacked a little while ago? Um, <laughs> Which one? <laughs> it wasn't a. It wasn't a porn site. It was a dating, well, cheating site. A lo- uh, yeah. uh, Ashley, 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 Ashley Madison. Ashley Madison. I've always wondered if they're PCI compliant. Not well, anymore. I'm sure they have. I mean, it's a, it's, it's still a. Well, people. There's a fine line between PCI compliant and secure. It's a legal business, right? Whether you're a porn company, whether you're a dating site, whether you're making mm-hmm. sex toys, it's all legal. Yeah, like it may be passe in in certain circles. Yeah, obviously, it's taboo, not. Taboo. It's not taboo here on the show. Obviously, no, definitely not. Definitely not. Um, but not. they're legal. Businesses, yeah. So to your answer your question, yes, they all have to be PCI compliant, just like any other company would. But my question is, what is the impact when you're hacking a sex toy? Right. So, would you like to find out? So, so Paul, (laughs) to me, to me, if it's anything like wearing Larry's bracelet, put the bracelet on. If it's anything wearing Larry's bracelet, no, I do not want to find out. (laughs) I I was going to say, we hope it's significant. Yes. Impact. 
significant impact. Yes, we we pe- we do penetration. Well, it's testing possible and we find it could be a holes. positive impact instead of a negative impact. Right, that's true. Sorry. So it's, it's only a hack if she says it is. Right. So I have two two theories on this, and that it is, and both of them are potentially negative impact. Um, you know, one with without my experience that um, I did hear that potentially if you could interact with someone else's sex toy. While it was in use, uh, I did hear rumors that there was a woman who had died after having a continuous orgasm for 12 minutes. Yeah. Wow. That's I mean, that's, that's a hell of a way that, to go. But exactly. Yeah. Now, that is a stretch. So that's I wanted to bring I wanted to bring probably that. probably internet fable. Exactly. A lot of those, exactly. yeah, a lot of those and Like I said, just... I heard a story. I read it on the internet yeah. somewhere. So who knows if it's true. The second one is, though, the one that we had with, uh, with our it's research okay. that, that we looked at <laughs> is that not only could we uh, interact with the toy in uh, a manner that was not intended mm-hmm. uh, by using the technology and looking at the mobile app itself mm-hmm. and deconstructing the Android mobile app, it f- was very interesting in that, um, one, the mobile app um, laid down a some restrictions based on social structure. So <laughs> they were forcing... You're being way too vague. So they were saying with the app that you could pair your chat session mm-hmm. with a partner, but you could only ever pair your chat session with one partner if you wanted to join your chat session with another partner Mm -hmm. you had to disconnect from your existing and join the second one the first one got a notification that says hey jeff man is no longer your partner on application you're like that dirty bastard. Yeah. Well, there's certainly. I <laughs> so agree. It's a that, I think it's a pri- yeah, I was just going to say that's exactly your wife's going to find out your your sex toying with. Uh, but it, it shows that, that you was have a, multiple girl. You're single right. and you have multiple. Right. Right. So so that was so that was the the first anyway. one. But it never told you. But we found a way to find out who the person was paired. So with. I think you're right. Like the the, <coughs> the play here is that it's a privacy issue, yes. right? If yeah, I'm yeah. using this technology with a partner virtual or otherwise there's some registration process and there's a privacy violation whereas before yep. if i were to use sex toys it was in private there was no internet communications associated with it mm-hmm. use sex toys all day and night long yep no but now that there's like a component that ties into your phone it ties right. into a website there's registration involved mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. could be privacy so so uh, to the point where we got with it was we were able to take the functionality of the chat and the make the vibration outside of the app and use standard off-the-shelf tools. It was using standard XMPP Jabber communication, mm-hmm. unencrypted. Mm-hmm. And we were able to then use a third-party Jabber XMPP client that yeah. did not have the restrictions for a single partner. So did we the device a- respond to commands in the Jabber yes. chat? Okay, so that's how you're we were able, able to, to manipulate the device. Right. Did you have to? Did you have to warm the device up first before yes. it responded? Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so we were able to add multiple partners <laughs> and interact with multiple partners. Now, based on and the 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 app. Did you get paid device, for this, or this is no, just personal? No, this is personal. Personal. Okay. Uh, because I was like, holy crap, what does this look like? Uh, but. The part where we stopped was because we didn't have permission, and we ran quite honestly ran out of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, could you now craft exploits over the XMPP session to deliver to the client on the phone, mm-hmm. say an Android phone that now has all sorts of permissions, and then potentially interact with other applications on the Android device? Now, is there a video <laughs> component to this app, or is it just like 
you're texting, basically texting back and forth. It was, and a, sending. It was a lot of text. They mm-hmm. may have updated it to include video. The camera on the phone. <coughs> right. Right. The next logical step. I mean, certainly then there's some serious privacy implications. Mm-hmm. Like, like there wasn't already, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's much like Celebgate or whatever it's being called now. That guy yeah. got went to jail. So is there a, is there a ransom? Oh, or no, he didn't go to jail. He got convicted. Oh, they have a new model out now too. <laughs> Larry's like totally glossing over this while we're fitting him for his. Does that plug into a USB port. jumpsuit? <laughs> no, it's Bluetooth. How does it talk to your phone? Low energy. It's blue, Bluetooth. Bluetooth low so energy? it says Bluetooth, but I would venture to guess. It's low oh, it says right there supports with iPhones that support Bluetooth low energy. Mm-hmm. And I would venture to guess it is unauthenticated Bluetooth low energy, which is Ooh. all sorts of fun. I want my sex toys to be high energy, though, not low energy. <laughs> <laughs> but then the batteries run out faster. That's true. That's well, that's true. Yeah, you you only, you, you hey, only is that not it. Kevin? Not Kevin is here. Not Kevin. Do you want to weigh in on this sex toy security topic? No, no. I think you guys got this. <laughs> <laughs> We're experts. Is there any other stories this week we can yes. move yeah, on to? <laughs> Uh, yeah, there's uh, lots of stories. Jeff looking desperately for a segue. Well, here's one, Jeff, because you work for Tenable Network Security. Yes, I do. Who's in the vulnerability management space. Yep. Yeah. I used to work there. Mm-hmm. Um, Carl- Carlos isn't with us. He's another Tenable employee. Um, the article that I have is titled, Vulnerability Scanners Turn Up Mostly False Positives, is the headline. My only response to that was, Ah! Okay, that's bullshit. Uh, and, I, and, I hate, and I hate to say it because uh, the name is familiar for the gentleman that spoke on this, that this quote came out of. But if I had to guess that it was – that comment was made by someone that has never used a vulnerability scanner before. Or they're selling something that's supposed to be better. That's selling a disruptor. That's what it is. So Whatever that is. This person – and I don't have the details of – if they configured or tuned the vulnerability scanner, given the number of false positives, my guess is they did not do any tuning of the vulnerability scanner. They did not release the name of the vulnerability scanner or which vendor that it came from. They did not release the version of the vulnerability or scanner how con- or, how they, or how it was configured. But they scanned uh, 100 of their customers across 10 industry sectors. They said that effort, uh, the result was 900,000 security-related red flags. Don't know what exactly which red I'm assuming flag means. That could be from informational all the way up. <clears throat> Probably informational all the way up would be my guess. Well, um, we, we could segue from the first article. It, it's not the vulnerability scanner that you use. It's how you use it's it. It's how you use it. Mm, yes. And that ties to our first... Oh, yes. Got it? So... <laughs> Uh, they said they had an 89% false, false positive rate in some industries. Uh, even the best results produced around a 50% false positive rates. Um, the scans were conducted February 2014 in May last year, scanning each company four times with all results manually vetted by the staff. Um, they also say that the 10,000 discovered cross-site scripting vulnerabilities were the la- largest class of vulnerable uh, tests found among the 9,000 different security flaws uncovered in the scans. Okay. Now, now that's a, that to be said, using a really smart tool like Burp to do some automated scanning, that gets false positives too. 
Yeah, I was going to say the well, same thing. Well, it's kind of the nature it's the nature of the beast. Yeah. Well, I mean, web applications notoriously are riddled complex with false positives. You need a lighter, Jeff. I do. Thank you. So, uh, so first and foremost, that that was an indication to me that the scanner was not properly configured because if you're going to scan that much at once, mm-hmm. uh, probably leaving off some of the web. I mean, a lot of the vendors in the vulnerability management space have separate either products or separate processes for doing web application scanning because it's such a different animal. Um, of course, we're all sponsored by NetSparker, right? But in my experience, NetSparker and in a lot of the products, and NetSparker specifically, which is why they're a sponsor of the show because I believe in their technology and have used mm-hmm. it successfully, um, have a much lower false positive rate than what's being reported here. I know personally from working in the vulnerability uh, scanning and management space for seven years that tuning the scanner makes a huge difference. Mm-hmm. And not So even let's step back for a second from um, just tuning the scanner. The sheer difference between a trusted scan versus a not trusted scan is huge. And if you're going to do this at scale for customers and take action on the results, mm-hmm. you absolutely – I mean, it, you're not pretending to be a, an attacker in, in this case. Let's right. you take that off the table. Yeah, like you're, you're, you're doing tr- a you're, vulnerability scan. Right. You're, you're, you're trying there, to find vulnerabilities. You're there vulnerabilities. to help, then right. do it authenticated or trusted. Do it authenticated. Well, yeah, that, that, that's the point. Do it. And to take it a to take it as uh, a process step backwards. Too much. Too many companies rely on vulnerability scanning to discover what's wrong with their network, rather than like we were talking mm-hmm. earlier. You know, you you have to do certain things in your network to do security, like endpoint yes. protection, configuration controls, segmentation, hardening. And and using patch the vulner- management, patch management, and then using the vulnerability scanner to to, to just to, to catch what you're missing, mm-hmm. or to catch automated or manual processes that are failing as a safety net, rather than ah, hmm, I wonder what's wrong with our network. I think I'll run a vulnerability scanner. And no, you just nailed it, Jeff. It's th- it, you should use those processes to reflect the expected result, right? And then when the surprises come up, then go flog somebody. <laughs> For the surprise that comes up, uh, because your change management processes and your knowledge of your environment intrinsically should always give you a result from your vulnerability scanner that you're essentially expecting. Right, and, and but you know this when you do that when you when you do that when you're doing it the right way, even a false positive you're expecting, and you, you okay I know that you know I've I've got a false banner out there, so it's going to give a bad result. I know that. That's exactly where I was going to because I scanned a site this week where um, I was using the HTTP enum. Um, uh, uh, Ron Bose, our good friend Ron yeah, yeah. Bose, was like, dude, check this out. Like, it's working really well. So I did some scanning this week, and I was like, holy crap, it does. And then I got to one website, and I was like, wow, every HTTP like, request I made that was discovering something – came back as a uh, 200 like success so it right. found 500 it was like hey you have all this stuff wrong like your site's running asp it's running php it's yeah. running .net. Yeah. it's got all and so i was like well yeah obviously they're doing something on this site to mm-hmm. yep i hate that, mass that i hate that like when you do uh derby or something like that yeah. and you ask for something that does that doesn't exist and it doesn't return a 404 it, it returns, returns a 200 200 yeah. yeah i run into that all the time with yeah. burp with with nicto all those kinds of things that's a great offensive and, counter 
It is a great offensive it, it, counter. It, it, it is. is because, like, if everything's vulnerable, then what's vulnerable? Yeah, right. But, exactly. But you've, it comes down to manual verification, right? Don't trust your automated tools entirely. Always go behind and manually. Or verify. just do an authenticated scan. In that case, gets around that, right? And that's the Absolutely. advantage you have as someone who's assessing the network to help the organization and work with them versus an attacker that's coming in blind. And I'm not saying don't do the blind test. By all means, do the blind test, right? Because if uh, uh, I do the blind test first and I see that, I want to make sure that it's working. Hey, when I scanned your website, I got all these things that came back and said it was running. Like, is that expected behavior? Well, yes, it is. Okay, here's the list that I got back. Mm-hmm. Did you detect my scan? How did you detect my scan? How long before that you detected? Maybe you block. If someone hits a certain percentage of those web pages that shouldn't exist. That sounds like um, purple teaming. Yeah, it's purple yeah, teaming. That's exactly, exactly. Yeah, purple, purple teaming. Yeah. Well, no, we have to acknowledge there are some organizations that work in such a such a fashion that their information security teams are siloed enough from their operational teams that they don't even have the option of obtaining an authenticated scan. So uh, we like to think that's that's the lesser of uh, of the uh, categories, but that that is an issue uh, for some folks, and so they don't really have a choice but to trust the banners that are coming back. But your authenticated scan is definitely going to give you a much better result. So the person that, you know, the article was written about some guy giving a talk about this. What was his point? Was he saying don't use them? No, it says that in there. He says, I still think they're, uh, I still think they are, I think they are still valuable. Use, useful, valuable, useful. Value, yeah, it's, they're still valuable, useful. They're valuable, useful, and will become more so in the future. It's probably misquoted saying that. Um, it will become maybe, more maybe. so in the future. I mean, hmm. vulnerability scanning of this type has been around since the beginning of time, like with rocks and sticks and stuff when you started doing security, Jeff. Yep, pretty so, much. <laughs> yeah. I, they were I, just inventing fire at that point. Yeah. The technology exists to do this way better, right? We talked about but he's not. Scans. But he's not even advocating that, is he? Or am I missing that in the article? No, he's not. I'm advocating that, right? Trusted scans. So again, using a, a, a web application scanner that is uh, specifically written and tuned to scan web applications from the outside without authentication, designed from the start, um, is good. And most of the vulnerability scanning vendors have their either own processes for doing that or have their own separate <coughs> product offerings for doing that. So vulnerability scanning is dead. We no. Should, we should use no. your product. No, <laughs> that's not what I'm saying. For the record, that is absolutely not what I'm saying. Oh, Defense, no, it's it, not. Defense in depth. You need to do it, vulnerability scanning and use Paul's product. It, it, it's, it's not. <laughs> Sex toys in depth. That's right. That's kind of valuable. Yes. Well, yes. It's, it's not dead. I mean, the thing is, you know, the, the most effective use of vulnerability scanning I've seen is when people build good baselines in their environment. They're building their servers and their services to those baselines, and they're using vulnerability scanning and comparing back against that baseline to see what's changed to then go ahead and investigate beyond that. You know, that's, that's a really useful, uh, that's a really useful uh, implementation of a vulnerability management program. Whereas, you know, the straight up scan against uh, an environment that doesn't have any kind of baseline, um, that's just throwing services out there ad hoc to the wind, then yeah, I mean, you might get false positives, but you might get stuff that is just things you didn't even know that were running on your server. I mean, well, in in he, there uh, there's a difference between scanning and management, right? Exactly. You know, this is scanning. It, which isn't 
bad, but when you progress to management, as we talked about in previous segments, mm-hmm. right, you can identify when, well, of course, this whole segment of the way we're doing the scan, like, of course, that's going to have false positives. You can tune. You can say, yes, this is always a false positive. Don't, don't pay attention to this anymore. Don't run these checks against these hosts and move on with life. And then be able to focus on what's important. That's the whole – that's management, right? That's You're managing the process, yep. right? When right. you're scanning, you're just scanning. You're just firing and, like, whatever comes back comes back. But that implies you have a, a program in place. You have a plan in place. Right. You're, you have some idea of why you're doing the vulnerability scanning in the first place. It looks like not Kevin's shaking his head over there. Speak up, Kevin. Not yeah, Kevin. Kevin. What's up, Kevin? I don't know how a mute button works. <laughs> no, Yay. I mean, it, I think we're kind of just all making the exact same point here, which is that, that it's all about how you actually utilize these tools at the end of the day, plus the manual verification. I mean, that's the whole point of vulnerability scanning plus penetration testing. You need yep. several series of tools and services in place, or else you're trusting results blindly. But I, I mean, reading this article, how much faith can you really put into this? It, it just sounds like one particular bad experience that's knocking an entire series of tools that we all use every day and we know can be used effectively if they're tuned properly. Mm -hmm. And sometimes even if they're not tuned properly by having some institutional, and I mean institutional in a larger sense of the word, knowledge about what makes up a false positive and what isn't. I mean, I'm not not knocking knocking the the presenter here. I, I have to imagine this is probably a game of telephone that turned into an article with a great headline, which is everything's bad and don't do anything. Oh my God, the world is coming to an end. I mean, I'm sure there there is some some truth to this. That you know, maybe he, I'm sure he ran a vulnerability scan, and I'm sure returned a whole bunch of stuff. But obviously, without the context of what he actually mm-hmm. did, the parameters he did the assessment, the scope of the assessment, there, there's just so much lacking here that I'm. Now, now that's it. Now that's it. To give him a little credit, you know, and not knowing, um, maybe the intent was to take a vulnerability scanner out of the box, install it, and use it like many customers might. And that, that's exactly what I was right. thinking, kind of flipping this around. If someone who doesn't have the experience, uh, and then you're just, say, just starting their vulnerability management lifecycle for the first time in a new organization who's never used these tools before, this is the experience they're going to have, which this could be a great example of the, you know, how to learn. Because if you just fire off any vulnerability scanner without really knowing or tuning or understanding the environment, then this is exactly what's going to happen. So I want to. I I don't want to. So Clint Gibbler is the uh, researcher in this case. Yeah, I want to make a. He works for. He works for NCC Group. We're not picking on you, Clint. Nope. We're not picking on you, dude. Which I understand. Your article ran in the register, and if I'm going to pick on anyone, it's going to be the register and the way they reported it. Exactly. We've all. I think many of us have been. You know, a victim of that. Um, and, and quite honestly, we want to see your presentation. Period. We'd love to. We have not seen your presentation. Fact, we're we just, should have them on the show. We should, we'll, more, open welcome. invitation. You're welcome. welcome to come on the show. I'm sure that what research you did is not uh, represented in this very short article that we read in the register. So I want to make sure we put that out there. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you get it, dude. But, um, of course, the way it's reported is what we're picking on more so than anything else. Right. But, but – the idea, if you're if you're a company, if you're an organization that is just starting out with security, is the first thing you do run a vulnerability scanner to figure out what's going on? See, because that's kind of where the no, industry has. I taken used it. to. I I think I u- used to subscribe. Well, 
I used to subscribe to that theory probably more than I do today. Probably, probably when you worked for a vulnerability scanning company. No, even before that. I'm talking <laughs> way okay. back, right? Okay. So which now, is, which but is when probably you look, recent history to me. But yeah, ahead. but look at look at exactly. But we went through my presentation, yeah. right? Which yeah. really got me thinking about the things you need to do to be successful in a security program, right? Like the, you and I identified some really fundamental things, right? right. You right. want to see the whole thing come to InfoSec World. Um, and I'm sure my presentation will, in InfoSec World, it's not exclusive to them. I will be sharing it. Right. Maybe we'll give a webcast on it uh, to, to get it out there a few months after the conference. Uh, if you want to see the first crack at it, come to InfoSec World. But there are some fundamental things in there, right? And I tried to find, like, what are the... What are all those fundamental things you need to start with? In, a, in, in Vulnerability scanning isn't in there. Because I subscribe to the theory now, and I guess I have for some time, mm -hmm. that you need to have a patch management program, as an example, yep. as something in place working before you start implementing vulnerability management. Why? If you reverse it and you do vulnerability management first, the first glaring thing you're going to see is, wow, I'm not doing patch management. Like, I could have told you that from the start. Right. Like, right. if you're right. not right. You don't need a vulnerability systems. scanning tool yeah. to tell right. you, oh, I need Precisely. to do If you come to me and say, yeah, we have no patch management program. And we're really behind on patching your systems. Like, I'm not yeah. going to say, you know what? You should run a vulnerability scan to see, you know, how you're not patching your systems. It's like, no, 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 no. This is a defined process. You have systems. It runs software. Put a process in place to get them patched to the latest levels, then verify what you've done with a vulnerability scan. Right. So I think there's an, there's an order. There's a, I love Sandra Cantwell's like, how tall you need to be to ride the ride. Mm -hmm. And I think that presents itself in different phases, right? Like, how tall do you need to be to do antivirus firewalls, vulnerability scanning, all those things we talked about, right? There's yeah. a couple of things you should do first. Then, like, do those things in a certain way. And then once you're doing all that, like, then you're tall enough to, like, ride some of the other rides, like hunt teaming that we talked about. Right. And, and that's exactly how we presented hunt teaming to everyone. So I think there's a... But you need to start I out... Was, you need to start out with the teacup ride. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's right. You got you to crawl, walk, then run. I think that's, that's very, mm -hmm. uh, very valid. But we I did think that the crawl, thing, walk, run. We did a webcast on that, John. That we, we did. That's right. I remember mm -hmm. that. Well the, well, the other thing is... Um, uh, and... and um, what really speaks speaks to this for me is is the, uh, the the SANS critical security controls, right? I mean, get get your get your baseline stuff in order. Get your asset management in order. Get yep. your you know software and hardware assets understood under control. You know where they all are. You know what they are. You know what's running in your environment. I mean, all of that stuff has got to proceed. Uh, a vulnerability management program. Well, well, I love that when we talk about so much like hard work. Isn't there just is. something I <laughs> yeah, can, yeah, yeah. Isn't there something I can buy? That but just I love does how when we talk about vulnerability management, it always segues back to well, like you got to have a security program with that does stuff before right. you do vulnerability. I love how it always segues into that because it's, it, it's so it true. is it's a maturity thing because if you got you know I, I I do run into customers with this saying oh, we're we're scanning and we've got like this this you know, enormous amount of data. We don't know what to do with it. It's like, well, my instant response is, have you done your, your baselining? You know, have, do you know what assets are on your network? Um, right. Do you know what software is running on them? Right. Uh, you know, do you have a patch management program? It's, it's like know? the same <laughs> thing with hunt teaming though. Like I yeah. did hunt teaming and I found way too many compromised systems than I can even handle. Well, 
Maybe you should have a security program and you won't have as many compromised systems. Then you can go hunt for the stuff. Also, that segues into that. I read an article that said, surprise, you have mystery PCs. And it was all about how the majority of the uh, Windows infrastructure is managed by Active Directory in your environment. And there's always systems that fall out of that management that you don't know about. Mm-hmm. And there's a quote in the article. And I want to get everyone's take on this. The quote says, you know, we identified these other systems in the network that we weren't managing. And now what we've done is, and I quote, we'll have to set up a special system that only does network scanning and let it run until it finishes. Probably a few months to scan every IP address. Whoa. What? Um, yeah, did that, so You're you guys have the wrong. same reaction. You guys yeah. seem to have the same reaction I did. Like, uh, there's a lot better ways to accomplish this. Discuss. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, number so one, start with you need to have a plan. You need to have a goal. What are you trying to accomplish? And then, So their goal is they want to find the systems on their network that they're not managing. Okay. And to do that, they want to scan everything that comes on the network. The, the problem is, now we're going from goal to problem, which is weird, but like right. the problem is, is that I see in this statement is that they can only scan their network. It takes them a few months to scan their network to find new hosts. Uh, my first reaction to that is eliminate the, eliminate the stuff you know about, and you're yeah. going to take 90% of the problem away, if not more. Right? Go ahead and get all that crap you know about out of the way. Then focus on the unknowns, and it's not going to take several months. <laughs> but active scanning is not the best way to solve this problem. Absolutely. I feel like if you're just listening to traffic, uh, so even just network packet captures, you're going to have a much easier time doing that. There's other sources of this information. But that vendor, that vendor wasn't selling me that solution. Right. I, I, yeah, I exactly. bought this other thing. DHC, yeah, I mean, but, I mean, just looking at your – I mean, if it DHCP takes you a few logs, months. Yeah, right. right, Joff, you could write a script. Um, you and I both could probably write a script that looks at DHCP logs that tells you about the stuff you don't know about. Yeah, yeah. Your, your script day. would be vulnerable to cross-site scripting. My script would be vulnerable to both <laughs> command nice. injection and cross-site scripting and, and SQL and, injection. And, and I don't even have a database, yeah. but it's vulnerable to SQL injection. By God, it would. Yeah, it <laughs> would. I'd probably take Joff's You would definitely want Joff's script yeah. more yeah, than my script. Yes. Well, look, look, I ran into this all the time. I, I want to harken back to the university space because, you know, Paul, you, you probably had this mm-hmm. experience too. You know, we had, you know, systems that were nicely domain joined and all that good stuff. But then we had these really odd things like electron scanning microscopes and magnetic resonance imaging systems, which had like an embedded NT kernel that was never patched, right? And those things in those anomalous environments like universities, and they're also in the medical environments, hospitals, particularly challenging, uh, same reason, some of those vendors won't patch that stuff. Dude, I remember doing incident response, right? And I'm like, I'm looking for this system because it's compromised. I was doing hunt teaming. I'm like, this system's compromised. And they're like, oh, that's in that room over there. Hang on. And they come back. And I had to put these booties on my feet. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I had to put the lab coat on. Uh-huh. I had to put yep. like the head Hairnet. piece yep. on. And I walked through the door, and the door said, like, like radioactive. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, what do you mean radioactive? They're like, no, we just put that on there so no one will come in this door. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and so we go in the door, and there's, like, this big equipment thing. And there's, like, 
tin foil over one of the hoses, which I, I didn't understand. Did you and have to wear a tin foil groin, hat? He didn't have to wear a tin and, foil hat. And then his hat. groin started to itch. Yeah, my, my <laughs> like my loins started tingling and stuff, and I, it was really weird. My my sex toy started going off when I didn't even push the button. Nice. And then, so and then there was like this PC running like Windows ninety five connected to it that was hacked. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, I mean, I seriously ran into that all the time, and I, I really do feel for the hospital environments. In fact, we Josh used with, to have hair before that engagement. <laughs> I did. I did. It was crazy. That's so true. <laughs> oh man oh, boy. but yeah there there really are um instances of this and I, I think in large corporate environments there are instances of this this kind of activity also but that hopefully less so um but no, in, no. in those in no. those cases the way we tended to react was with other compensating controls uh whatever they might be and that was like extreme network segmentation uh, uh, to control the communications from those devices. And, are, and, are you saying defense in depth? Yeah, I mean, you had to block, you had to block and tackle uh, in in instances like that because you really All don't right. ease up on the defense in depth and block and tackle. Is that is that low hanging fruit? <laughs> oh come on, <laughs> that was a low yes. blow yes, to my low hanging right. fruit. <laughs> the older and, and, you get, the lower it hangs. And now my groin is itching again. <laughs> <laughs> Hack my sex toys and you get to my low hanging fruit, basically. Uh, wow. No, that, that, that's uh, I mean, you do run into that, and I, I, like I said, I have a lot of empathy for those folks who are dealing with environments like that. They just cannot change that situation, especially the ones where they've got 50 million bosses, uh, i.e. doctors. Love you guys, doctors, but boy, <laughs> everybody wow. has their own We're idea. running short on time. So do you guys want to talk about hacking hotels, Home Depot paying fines, or SSH honeypots being Why don't abused? you jump down to the FTC? My, my okay, let's talk about FTC. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I love to bring up PCI. It's my favorite thing. Um, right. The, the FTC issued an order to nine different QSA companies saying, "How do you do your job? How do you, how do you how do you find companies compliant? Because you know every 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 company that's been breached from a, a PCI financial perspective, you know the, the 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 what you always hear is, well, they weren't PCI compliant at the time of the breach." So FTC is saying, well, if all these companies are being found compliant all the time, what's going on in terms of the compliance process? So nine different companies are under an order to fill out this this questionnaire uh, uh, responding to, you know, how do you perform your assessments? How often do you fail customers? You know, what's the ratio of pass to fail? And and there's some mention of then a, a tie into the forensics audits, but you know, what are your thoughts on those? On that? Wow, that is super interesting. It first is of super all. interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, my immediate reaction is um, that as a penetration testing company, that I believe we're doing things right and doing things the right way. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is kind of separating out the. Uh, I'll use the terms pen testing puppy meal outfits from the uh, people that are doing it right. And so you, you've got to question those organizations um, as to who did they hire to do this uh, PCI compliance check because compliance right. is not necessarily secure. And I think that's what this is highlighting. Yep, I agree. And I, it's interesting, uh, you know, the nine companies that were identified, uh, you can go out and 
I don't know if it's in the article that we 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 put in the notes, but uh, um, <coughs> of all the breached companies over the last several years, there's one particular QSA company that will remain nameless that is usually the QSA company involved, and they're not one of the nine that were requested to fill out this questionnaire. And I'm wondering if they're if the FTC is trying to baseline to build a case against this other company. I kind of hope not because um, I, I I try not to sound too negative about the uh, the pen testing puppy mill kind of side of the industry because you know I think there's a place for that right there there is a a certain level of um, basic vulnerability scanning that can be done for uh, the joke is like twenty thousand dollars and um, it's okay it has its place right not everybody wants an in depth manually focused penetration test. But people do need to be aware of when they should be engaging an in-depth, manually focused penetration test. Well, yeah. I, so to extrapolate to the PCI world, there's uh, you can pay twenty thousand dollars for the PCI assessment, or you can pay hundred thousand, two hundred thousand dollars for the PCI assessment. And a lot of companies talk about the you know how how painful and expensive it is to go through the PCI compliance process. Before you even talk about all the different technologies that you have to implement to actually meet the compliance requirements, which are a lot of the things that we've talked about, are the basics mm -hmm. of you know you got to be doing these things anyway. Um, you know, so there's certainly a, 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 an attitude of you know not all PCI assessments are the same, not all QSAs are equal. No, um, and you get what you pay for. So, Jeff, the, uh, I'm looking at this article now that actually does mention every one of the, the, the nine vendors that are uh, explicitly called out. And, and I'm looking for your opinion on now that the FTC is, is looking to audit how these, these assessments are done, do you think they will serve as, as a guideline or actually uh, provide enforcement against other organizations who are failing to meet, say, some of the criteria of these, of these much larger vendors? Well, that's an interesting question because, you know, nothing, nothing happens until something goes wrong. So mm -hmm. you, can, you can slide by with the ten or $20,000 assessment and be fine until something <coughs> goes wrong, which is, you know, in this, in this context, it's a, it's a breach. Um, yeah, we don't have enough time left to go into this. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about Tesla Crypt. Yeah, let's move on. Yeah, ransomware is rampant. It's rampant and rampant. So it's, I mean, it's, it's the you, hot thing right now, and, and you especially know, in sex toys. Both of my stories were about ransomware, weren't weren't they? We had Tesla Crypt and APT ransomware. Yeah, so yeah, both were so ransomware. Both of my were ransomware this week. That's kind of weird and bad week for me for stories. But read the whole article, not Kevin, and you'll you'll have the answer to your question. Gotcha. <laughs> Yeah, so at least so you have stories. Tesla Crypt is a is a new one that's out there that is allegedly using uh, encryption technology that can, in fact, quote, according to the Varus Group, uh, I believe they said uh, is unbreakable. No such point. thing. There is no such thing. Agreed. Yeah. But currently, it is unbreakable. How, on the converse, however, uh, there was a story out there that there was some new uh, cryptoware, which was uh, initially misidentified as Locky, <laughs> which turns out to be some new variant of something. 
um, uses the EDA2 algorithm to do the uh, encryption. Um, and the uh, toolkit used for EDA2 was written by uh, uh, Utku Sen, who intentionally inserted a backdoor so that should EDA2 be used for uh, nefarious purposes, he could backdoor it and turn over the keys. What happens when you backdoor your sex toy? Or is your <laughs> sex toy for your backdoor? Good I think it's kind of the other way around. <laughs> your you sex toys for your backdoor. What happens when yeah. your sex toy backdoors you? <laughs> yeah. So, so two things really scared me about this is that you use sex toys on your backdoor. Uh, no, no, no. No, that doesn't. But no, the one is that the developer created this encryption methodology that he intentionally backdoored and didn't tell anyone. Yeah. And two, what could he have done with that? So well, there's no uh, such sol- thing as unbreakable cryptography, but that's kind of a misnomer because most cryptography these days is not broken. You know, there's there's X number of combinations of keys or factors that go into, you know, solving the crypto puzzle right. um it's always finite and it could be mm-hmm. g- vastly large numbers but it's always possible it's always finite to brute force it you yeah, try so all the combinations so nothing is impossible to break it might yeah. take 20 years 30 years 50 years of computing power yep. but nothing's impossible yeah. to break and, and <coughs> i and i think that was sort of their you know the where various not various group where uh uh they were getting with that is that uh it is currently impractically breakable as opposed to impractically. So yeah, there's mean, so um there's a lot so more stories in the show notes. Yeah. Uh lots more stuff going on there. Make sure you check it out. Wiki.securityweekly.com. Mm-hmm. I want to thank our special guest, Jared Atkinson, for coming on talking about hunt teaming and PowerShell. Mm-hmm. Of course all of our illustrious hosts. Well, including not Kevin who looks like he has a yes. different office every week. He's not on the Kevin's show. got a different different background every week. I get around. It's, got, it's fantastic. Laptop, we'll wow. travel. Make sure he's, he's, a, he's a good looking guy. He gets week. around. I mean, stop. Make sure you check out our um, <laughs> our other shows, uh, Hack Naked TV, hacknaked.tv. Uh-huh. Check that one out for yep. a, a quick breakdown and look for a new show coming soon. I'm going to be a little cagey about the details, but there is a new is show. That one was, is that the one you were discussing before? Yes, yes. Mm. It's going to be it's going to be pretty epic. Why don't you tell me about it? And then there's a there's actually two more shows in the works, but it's one is going to come out sooner than the other one, um, and it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. Unless you launch them at the same time, that's true. no. I'm not going to launch them at the same time. It'll be one so right one after will, the other. One will come before the other. One will come before the other. Yeah. yeah okay. So maybe tune in next week, and maybe Sounds I'll have like the my sex life. The name. Sounds like girlfriends. <laughs> girlfriends I used to have. <laughs> Woo. So make sure you secure your sex toys. And Larry, take us out. Over. <laughs> <laughs>